Stage. We are starting a brand new series called Letters from Prison, everybody. And so this particular series I'm excited about in that we're going to study some of these books of the Bible that Paul wrote in the New Testament from prison. We're going to walk through these verse by verse. If you're new with us, we do a lot of things throughout the year. We study the Bible in series. And so we either do like a topic that we study around for a few weeks or a character study of a person in the Bible. Or we do a book study where we walk verse by verse through the book. And so I've told you, give me about 40 years and we'll make it through the whole Bible. But we're going to study through the letters that Paul wrote from prison. And I think this will give us an interesting perspective that he had on a lot of different topics, starting with the book of Philippians. And so Philippians is an incredible book. And so the church in Philippi was actually planted by Paul in the year 50, 52 AD. And so Paul comes through and he's planting churches, of course. And so this is the first church that he plants in the city of Philippi, the first church he plants in Europe. And so this is an opportunity for Paul to reach out. He actually spends time in prison in Philippi, in the jail. And so he's uniquely uh, situated to write this letter. And if you read the story of Paul and you read the book of Philippians, it's a letter about joy written from Paul. When really it should be a letter about joy written to Paul because Paul's the one who's sitting in prison writing this thing. But if you look at Paul's life, you realize he was a Jewish man who had a Roman citizenship. And so he was uniquely situated to bring the gospel to what the Bible calls the non-Jews or the Gentiles. Because he had a lot of perspective, he honestly had a lot of privileges that Jewish people normally did not have as a Roman citizen. And so Paul begins this missionary journey, he'd travel around, he'd preach the gospel and he would plant churches. And so he had this dream though, if you read through Paul's writings, always with this idea that he would end up in Rome. That he would go to Rome and he would preach the gospel. And that honestly, I, I like to think Paul probably thought millions would get saved. He'd pack out the Colosseum, sell out every seat, have these crusades and all these things. But Paul's life didn't end up like that. He did make it to Rome. And Rome is about four million people at the time. So you can imagine the greatest city on earth at that moment. Four million people, which is incredible for biblical times. Paul ends up there, but he doesn't end up there packing out the Colosseum. He doesn't have crusades. He's not this, this great star on the billboards all the way down I-10. That's not how Paul shows up in Rome. Paul shows up in Rome in chains. He shows up in prison. And even in the middle of that, he writes this letter. We get these beautiful letters from prison. This Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. He writes these letters from prison these letters outside, these letters to the church, these letters of perspective that we're going to study together. So we're starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. If you want to grab out your Bibles, uh, we put stuff on the screen as well. If you want to pull up the church app, uh, we have a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes for you. I've told you before, I will convince all of you before I die that it is good to take notes. And so if you are taking notes with us, jot some things down. If you're not, jot some things down anyways. All right, Paul starts out the book. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus... To the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts out the book like, hello everybody, it's good to see you, Have nice to talk with you. Continues in verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So Paul is writing this letter and he's thinking about this church 10 years later after he planted it. And he's thinking about them. He's thinking how much he loves them. And so he writes a letter to them. And watch what he says. I remember you. I'm thinking about you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So time out there. Paul's like, I, I love you. I was thinking about you. And so I prayed for you. Which incidentally is a good uh, habit to have as a Christian. I always think it's kind of strange when somebody's like, you know, I was thinking about you last week. And I'm like, that's it? Like, that's the, like, why, what? Why were you thinking about it? What were you, what were you thinking? Paul says, when you think about somebody, pray for them. 
Which, honestly, we should do as Christians. God will bring somebody on your heart, bring somebody to your remembrance. God will bring somebody to your memory. You might just think, when you do remember somebody, pray for them, everybody. Like, pray for me. Thinking about me doesn't do me any good. Pray for me. Pray a little something for my life. Pray something to encourage me. Paul says, I was thinking about you, and I prayed for you, and I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day, that's 10 years ago when they planted the church, until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he says, hello, everybody. I thank God that he's doing this in your life. What a great way to kick off this book to the Philippians. He said, I thought about you. I loved you. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about the things that God is doing in your life. He's saying, pray for you. And Paul says, I was praying out of this place of joy, even though I'm in these circumstances. They knew he was in prison. And honestly, the church in Philippi was one of the few who, wouldn't, few who wouldn't desert Paul while he was in prison. They still supported him, still followed his leadership. And so Paul says, I know I'm in this situation, but I'm writing to you with the spirit of joy because God who has begun the good work will carry it on to completion in you. He wants you to say, I want you to know that what you're going through, these trials that we walk through, God's going to still complete what he said he would do. That God is still the God who completes his promises. God is still the God who can get you through whatever it is you're walking through. Because the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And so he says, God began this work of salvation inside of you. God began this, this spring of hope in that city of Philippi. And he says he's going to complete it. Because Paul is saying, even though I'm in prison, I know that God is a God who keeps his promises. Even though I'm sitting here in probably the worst situation I could be in to bring revival to Rome, God is still the God of his promises. So I write to you with joy. He says, God will bring it to completion. And honestly, I think Paul starts preaching to us here from the very beginning of this book. Because honestly, the situations of life that we walk through, a lot of times will try to show us or try to convince us that God isn't faithful to his promises. The things that we walk through, so many times circumstances try to creep in and try to convince us that maybe God has forgotten about us. And maybe it's great he's doing things for all the other people, but that God has somehow forgotten to complete his promise in us. And so Paul is writing to me saying, even though I'm in prison, even though I'm sitting in the worst circumstance to fulfill what I think my calling is. He said, I still pray with joy. I still remember you with joy because God is a faithful God. And so he continues on. He says, he's honestly writing us this letter. And Paul teaches us how we can have joy no matter the circumstance. He teaches us how we can have joy no matter what happens. And I pray as we walk through this book in the next few weeks, and especially today, that as we walk through adversary in life, as we walk through adversity and we walk through things that honestly come against us in storms of life, we would learn from this letter, from Paul's example, what it means to find true joy in Christ. Because I, I think the world is a little wrapped up nowadays, and honestly, all throughout history. This is not a, a new phenomenon, but the world is wrapped up in happiness. The world is wrapped up in pursuing happiness and having happiness in every area of life. But listen to me, everybody. If you jot it down if you're taking notes, but happiness is based on happenings. And so it's fine. It's not unbiblical to be happy. I'm just saying that it's based on your circumstances. And so if all you have is a long string of bad circumstances, you'll become a very depressed person. Because it's not happiness is only based on if, if happiness is all you're pursuing and suddenly you have this string of what you might call bad luck or this string of all these things that happen to you. Happiness will be as fleeting as your happenings, as your circumstances it goes right out the window. But Paul is teaching us something a little bit deeper. And that is how we have joy even in the midst of storms. How we have joy even in the midst of everything that's going on around us. How you have a joy on the inside of you. Not that bad things don't happen, but it, that in the storms of life, they don't rock you. Because Paul's teaching us where true joy is found. Because honestly, if 
Everything that you base your life on is based on the happenings. I, I just, I have to be honest with you. Life gets hard in a lot of different areas. I promise you life is going to get hard. Somebody says, well, I wish you were more positive. I'm positive life is going to get hard, everybody. I am absolutely positive that there are going to be storms in your life. I don't care how good it's been up till now. I don't care how much of a bubble you live in. All of us will walk through things in this life. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. But Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. How do we have joy in the midst of storms? Well, Paul begins to teach us this. As Paul's life, honestly, it looks like it's falling apart around him. If we were to judge his life based on everything up to this point, it looks like things are falling apart. And Paul is writing at this moment about how to keep your joy. So we're going down to verse 12. He says this. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, writing to this church again in Philippi, his ones he loves. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I think this place, I love this phrase, because I think this is the spot where most of us get shipwrecked. Because Paul says, what has happened to me? And honestly, if you've ever met somebody who got shipwrecked on this phrase, you understand it from like the get-go when you're talking to them, that they, they lost the control of their life somewhere around this, what has happened to me. Somewhere around this, what has happened to me has done this. Because the things that we've walked through oftentimes define us so often that we don't let God do anything new in our life because we're so hung up on what has happened to me. We're so hung up on what has gone through. And so Paul is teaching us how to live a life of joy no matter what has happened to us in the circumstances. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few things out of chapter 1 that I think Paul is teaching us in how to take joy. Things that he says and things that he lives as an example to us of this, what has happened to me on how to maintain. I think the first one is actually found in this verse 12. He says, what has happened to me is actually served to increase the gospel. And so if you're going to keep your joy in any circumstance, you're going to have to learn how to keep preaching. You have to learn how to keep preaching because Paul's purpose in life was to spread the gospel. No matter what the situation in life, we as Christians are called to reach others with the gospel of Jesus. And so we have to keep preaching in whatever avenue or area of life that we're in. And people say, well, I'm just not a preacher. That is, every Christian alive is a preacher. If we are called to go into every avenue of life, there are people each one of us is equipped to reach that the person next to you is not. There are people that you can speak to into their lives that somebody else could never, ever even approach. That God has called us as the church to reach others. We talked about this last week. That we are uniquely gifted, each one of us different, but all of us the body of Christ. And so if we're going to live out our purpose and we're going to find true joy, we're going to keep preaching. Because Paul understood, this is why I'm here. Paul understood, this is what the meaning of my life is. And I'm going to get as many people to heaven with me as possible. And so I'm going to keep preaching no matter the circumstances. So many of us get into a situation or a season of life that will say, well, when this happens, then I can begin my ministry. When I, when I get to this place in life or I get to that breathing spot or maybe when I, when I get that job or maybe when, I, you know, when these kids get grown or maybe when this thing happens, whatever, then I'll do what God has called me. Listen to me. Don't let your conditions dictate your calling. Never let the things around you dictate whether or not you are doing what God has called you to do. Because in every season, the Bible says, we need to be prepared. In every season, we are called to be followers of Christ, to reach others for the gospel. And so we keep preaching. You want to keep joy in the middle of your circumstance, you've got to keep preaching. Because if all you have are problems, you will be a depressed person. What you need is something bigger than your problems, and that's your calling, that's your purpose. And so Paul is writing to us. He said, I know I'm in chains and I know that it seems like the days are dark, but I know what my purpose is. And so I'm going to keep preaching. He said, I know I didn't sell out the Colosseum. I didn't, I'm not having crusades, but I've got a pen and I can write and I know what my calling is to be. And so in every circumstance, in every situation, 
He said, I'm going to keep preaching the message God has given us in this life. And Paul understood this in the midst of any adversity. Paul understood this probably more than most because he walked through some stuff in life. He actually gives us a list of it in another book of the Bible. It's like Corinthians. Paul gives us a list of what he walks through. And prison, to be honest with you, isn't even that far up the list. And so Paul, in the middle of this, he's writing from jail. He's not all that torn up about it because he knows what he's already walked through. He already knows what he's gone through. So St. Corinthians chapter 11, watch this list he gives us. He says, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Time out right there, everybody. If one person from our church got hit one time for the gospel, that would be our life story. Come on, somebody. I would, if we got like one time, it would be like, that's the lash guy. He got lashed like 39 times, he says, times five, five, they gave me lashes. Like that would be, that'd be the only thing we would tell you hear about the time I got lashed. Like I got hit for the guy. I got, it was a lash. I got lashed. And Paul's just like, that is horrible torture for the gospel of Christ. And Paul's just like listing it as the start of something. He's just like, yeah, 39 times five, I got hit. Three times I was beaten with rods. And so they beat him three times with rods. Once I was stoned. And that's not like Colorado stoned, everybody. That's not like, some of you are thinking like, at least he got a little bit of relief there. No, that is not, not medicinal, everybody. That is not some of you think, what's he talking about? Stones. <laughs> in the old day, they would throw stones at people until it either lost so much blood or they were crushed between the weight of the stones that they would die. That's how they would stone me. They would stone it. Paul, I love the apostle Paul. Paul was dragged out of a city one time. They dragged him out for preaching the gospel. They threw stones at him until it heaped on his body till they thought he was dead. They left him there, went back in the city. A few hours later, Paul's pushing stones off his head, gets out of that pile of rocks, goes back in the city and starts preaching the gospel to the ones who stoned him in the first place. That's a bad dude, everybody. That is just... And again, Paul is just like listing it. He's just like, oh yeah, we're just starting the list here. He's just getting a little like cadence going. He's he's saying, so sometimes he said, "Three, three times I was shipwrecked. One time I spent a whole, watch this, a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have seen Shark Week. Like at this point, I'm done. At this point, I'm retired. I've done enough. I have suffered for the gospel. Three times shipwrecked. I'm not getting on the boat again. I'm not preaching. I'm not, I, have, I have done my calling. Let the next generation come. That's what I, at this point in the list, I'm doing. But Paul's just like, yeah, that happened. He said, I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews. So he's saying the people that I probably should have been able to trust, danger from them, as well as from the Gentiles, ones I probably couldn't have trust. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. Time out right there. If you've never been to the Middle East, that's all there is. There are cities and deserts and water, everybody. That's the only thing that there is. But Paul says, everywhere I go, I face danger. I face danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. Somebody say amen to that. Who claim to be believers. I have worked long, hard, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold. Some of these just don't seem as bad as others, right? But Paul's listing all of them. Paul's like, I forgot my coat one time without enough clothing to keep me warm. And so Paul goes through all of this list. He said, he said, I have faced dangers and I've gone through all of these things. Here's the thought, everybody. Paul's writing all of this. He's saying, here's all the circumstances and adversity that I have suffered. I could probably go toe-to-toe with anybody who suffered for the gospel. He's saying, I could probably, I could probably match you story for story. I have suffered for the gospel. Anybody, I can relate to that. And yet still here he is at the end, sitting in prison saying, I can teach you about joy. 
He said, I can teach you how to have the right perspective. Because here's the principle I've learned. If problems are all that you have, you will be a depressed person. I know it's really deep this morning. If problems are all you have, you've got to be like Paul, have something bigger. You've got to have a purpose. You've got to have a calling. You've got to have something that you keep preaching the gospel. And so Paul says, I'm going to keep preaching. I might not have a pulpit in Rome, but I've got a pen and I'm going to preach the gospel. He said, I may not have this thing because I know what I am alive for. I'm going to maintain my joy. You know, some of the most joyful people here at Victory are not the people with the fewest problems. I think sometimes we, we misjudge that and we think if I could just work all these problems out of my life, then I could have joy. You know, some of the people you see around here who are exuding the most joy of the Lord that you can possibly imagine because of my position and my counseling, I know what they're walking through and I think they have lost their minds. Like, look at the hell that you are walking through. And then the next day, they are just giving the joy of the Lord, loving on other people. It's incredible to see. It's not that they're delusional. It's because they found a higher purpose than their problems. They found something bigger than the circumstances of life that they come. They have a purpose in this life. And they've never stopped preaching the gospel. Never stopped loving the church. Never stopped walking with others through their trials and tribulations. Never stopped being who we are called to be. You've got to have a purpose bigger than your problems. And listen to me, it's not that you suddenly, problems just vanish from your life. That's not how this thing works. It's that we rise above it. It's that God has called us to have joy even in the circumstances of life. And so my question for you today would be then, what is your prison? What's your adversity? What's your thing that you are walking through? What's this trouble that you have found in this Lord? Because too often we let what has happened to me shipwreck us from our calling. We, we let this, what has happened to me, we use it as an excuse and we use it as a crutch to not do what God has called us to do. And ultimately, we let it steal our joy because all of us have something. And I, I think what's funny to me is all of us get so convinced that we are the only ones who had to walk through it. That we're the only ones who experienced it. So we get ourselves kind of closed off from the body of Christ and we say, well, I'm the one. I, I got hit with a lash. I was lashed. And somebody else is like, well, I got hit with the rod. And sticks are much harder than lashes. You don't understand what I went through. And somebody else is like, I forgot my coat at the football game. And I got really, really cold. But we compare ourselves as Christians too often times. And we compare ourselves in the way that we suffer. And we feel like we are alone. And we use it as our crutch not to do what God has called us to do. Listen to me, everybody. You cannot let your conditions dictate your calling. You can't let it. Don't let the things that surround you keep you from being who God has called you to be. So Paul continues to write. Philippians chapter 1, the next verse, verse 13, he says, As a result of my chains, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. This is significant. Because if you don't study the history of what's happening, you'll miss what Paul's impact was actually in Rome. And so he starts off, he says, It's been clear now throughout the whole palace guard. This was the praetorial guard, so 10,000 soldiers strong. Greatest fighting force on the area and the planet at that time. Honestly, the Caesars of the day back then would fear coups from the Praetorial Guard. That's how powerful they were, both in the political and the military realm. And so Paul is like, you know the baddest fighting force on the planet? Yeah, I'm witnessing to them. They're over there. They know why I'm here. They know I'm here for Jesus. And then he says, and everybody else is also knowing. You read in chapter 4, Paul, we're going to get there. He says that actually, I'm actually witnessing to those in Caesar's own household. And then you read in the book of Philemon, Paul is witnessing to those who are enslaved and chained as well. Paul's witnessing to everybody around him. And Paul's like, I can have joy in this situation because I've never stopped preaching. And I know I don't have the pulpit, but I've got an influence. He said, I'm preaching to the guard. I'm preaching to the people in the administration. I'm evangelizing every person I come in contact with. And then he says, because of my chains. And then verse 14, he says, but most of all, the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
So Paul's saying, people I haven't even met know that I'm in chains for the gospel and they have faith to preach now. Paul's like, just by the way that I'm living my life, I'm influencing others. You know, you can preach by the way that you live your life. Some of you can, you can preach the wrong message by the way you live your life. Listen to me, you can preach by the way that you live. Somebody got in their head that we got to run around screaming at everybody to make a difference. No, honestly, the way that we live oftentimes has more of an impact than anything that we say. Because people are looking at you both inside and outside of the church. Outside, they're looking at you to see what a Christ follower actually is. If we actually do what we say, we'll do. And then inside of the church, people are looking at the way that you live, the way you treat your spouse, the way you raise your kids, the way you spend your finances, the way you spend your time. The way you live your life is having an impact on others because people see it and they say, if they can do it, then I can do it too. It encourages people when we live this life we're called to live. When you're an example of what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul's like, look, I'm just living my life being an example to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And now they have boldness to preach the gospel. So if you're going to maintain joy, I'm preaching in every situation that I can, but not without persecution. Verse 15, he goes on to say, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And he goes in 16, he says, the ones out of goodwill are doing it out of love. And then verse 17, he says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, they're preaching it, but not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. It's a fascinating point here that Paul is making. Because there were Christians in Rome that were jealous of the influence Paul had. Paul's influencing the guard, the people in Caesar's house. He's influencing Christians, slaved in chains. He's influencing so many. And there are Christians in Rome who don't like the influence Paul has. And so they begin to preach the gospel, hoping to get Paul persecuted and tortured. You say, well, how would that, how would that affect Paul in any way? Well, listen, the praetorial guard in Rome, Romans like to be in charge. Everybody. I don't know if you've read history before, but they enjoy being at the top of the food chain. And so they didn't like when Christians would come into these different settlements and Rome itself and begin to preach that Jesus is king. Because that's what the gospel, that Jesus, they didn't like this idea of Jesus being king. And so they would stamp out rebellions in the outer provinces and also in Rome itself. And you know whose job it was to stamp out rebellions in the city? It would be this palace guard that Paul has influence with. And so they think these, these non-believers, but who are preaching Jesus, they, they think that they're troubling Paul. They're stirring up this this trouble for Paul and persecution. And Paul's like, they're preaching the gospel. Think they're giving me trouble. And Paul's like, they're trying to ruin my influence, trying to ruin my witness. And so the second thing, first we have to keep preaching. And the second thing we're going to have to do, if we're going to keep our joys, we've got to keep fighting. Some of you are like, I knew I liked this church. I knew I enjoyed a thing. I'm going to leave this service, go punch that guy in the face. Pastor said, keep fighting. I'm gonna, everybody who opposes me, I'm going to hit. The problem is, and this is why I want a little nuance in this second point here. The problem is a lot of times, and I would say most of the time, if I had to guess, we are fighting the wrong battle. Because Ephesians chapter 6, another prison letter, by the way, that Paul writes, verse 12, he says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against people, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, if you're going to keep your joy, you have to keep fighting. But you've got to fight the right battle. You've got to be able to fight the battle. Too many of us are fighting the wrong battle. You become convinced that people are the issue and people are who you should fight. If you focus on people, just if you focus on problems, you will lose your purpose. Because listen to me, everybody, people are crazy. I, I don't know if you've ever come to this realization. I don't know if you know. I'm the only one, but people are crazy. All of us live in neighborhoods. 
All of us know that people are crazy. All of us have jobs with co-work. All of us know that people are crazy. Most of us, have done, we have seen this thing. People are, they will say crazy things. They will do stupid stuff. They will say crazy. People are insane. And if you get it inside of your heart that people are the enemy, you will fight the wrong battle every single time. Because people will say the wrong thing. They will do the wrong thing. They will attack you in the wrong way. They will try to sabotage. They will do people. You know what happens. Why? Because the devil's trying to mess with you and get you to fight the wrong battle. Too often times we think our battle is with flesh and blood. And so we fight it all day long. We fight it in our homes. We fight it in our neighborhoods. We fight it on social media. We fight and fight and fight. And we use all of our energy fighting the wrong battle. And we get to the end of the day and we think, well, I've done something good today because I fought so many people on every single front I could think of. Paul says, no, it's not people. Paul, if anybody had a chance to fight people, if anybody had a cause to fight people, it would have been Paul. And he says, these people are trying to preach Jesus to get me persecuted. You think of the weirdest thing people could do to try to attack you. They're trying to preach Jesus to get Paul tortured. But Paul writes from prison in Ephesians, he says... Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Devil would love for you to fight against people. The Bible says in first chapter five, first Peter, verse eight, he says, But your enemy, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You have an enemy, everybody. There are spiritual authorities and darkness in this world. We have an enemy, and we are wasting our time fighting the wrong thing. Jot it down if you're taking notes. People are not your problem. People are not your problem. Read this one with me. People are not your problem, everybody. Stop trying to fight the world. Stop trying to fight everybody who comes in your life. Yes, people are crazy and people say crazy things and they do crazy stuff. They're trying to attack you. But guess what? There's something deeper at play. There's something else that's trying to steal your witness, trying to steal your purpose, trying to steal your calling in life. And too many times we'll fight the wrong battles. So Paul's like, look, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to fight the right battle. The battle is spiritual. And then here's the perspective Paul gives us about this situation in verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? Honestly, I think this should be the slogan we put up on our fridge magnets and on our cars and say, what does it matter? Ask yourself that question. But what does it matter? What does it actually matter? Think about it. What does it matter if they talk bad about you? What does it matter if they walk out of your life? What does it matter if they say something mean about you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is? What is it, in light of eternity, what does it matter? What does it actually matter? Important thing is that our purpose is fulfilled, Paul says, in every way, whether from false motives or true, whether they attack me or not, Christ is preached. Paul said, I know what my purpose is. I know what my calling is. I know why we're here as a church. We exist in this world to preach Christ and his gospel. And he says, no matter what they try to do, no matter what the crazy things are, Christ is preached. And because of this, I have joy. He said, I know I'm in prison. I know I've gone through all these things, but I know that I'm going to keep preaching and I know I'm going to keep fighting. And I know people aren't my fight because even though they try to attack me, Christ is preached. He said, I want to keep joy in the midst of it. There it is again. He says, I keep my joy. I stay focused on the right thing. And then watch this in verse 19. He says, yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. For I know through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened, there it is again, what has happened to me, watch this, will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul said, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep fighting. But you want to keep your joy in your life. You've got to keep trusting. Even in the midst of what has happened to me, I'm going to keep trusting. 
Paul said, I know what my calling is. I'm going to keep trusting. He said, in the midst of all this, I may not be preaching my crusade, but my life is in God's hands and I know that I'm trusting him. It may not turn out the way I thought it would turn out, but I know that I'm trusting him. It may not look the way I thought I should paint my life and how it should look, but I know that I'm trusting him. He's saying these things that happened to me, I still rejoice because I know that it will turn out for the good. Paul is talking here about this incredible, we, we see Paul's influence. And so we can read these verses and think, well, yeah, it did turn out good. Paul, Paul had no idea, no idea that he would be able to influence thousands of years later. People would still talk about this is what Paul went through. And now we can too. Paul had no idea that this is what would come out of his life. All he knew is I'm sitting in a prison cell and these things have happened to me, but I rejoice because I'm trusting that I don't know, but I know God does. And Paul says, I don't know the timing, so maybe it's not mine to know. And so I just know that God is going to do things and turn this out for my deliverance. He says, this is going to happen. And he said, I keep my joy in the midst of it. We got to keep trusting that God would turn things for the good. You know, if you're new to the faith, honestly, this gets easier with time. And not that you lose adversity with time, not that you have fewer problems as time passes. No, the problems still come. Honestly, they get more and more. But the more that you follow God, the more that you see his hand move, the more faith that you grows inside of your life. The more that you're able to see God, his hand guide you through, that you walk through things and you see God move. You see the things you read in the Bible and you build your faith on what God has done and you understand the God that we serve. You understand that his purposes are coming to pass. And so Paul says, I'm going to trust. It's where Paul's story, honestly, every, you can open the Bible to anywhere in the New Testament that Paul is in and you will see this play out. Even on the way to prison in Rome. So Paul is in chains. They're trying to ship all of the prisoners to Rome and they're trying to sail in the wintertime. And so Paul, in his shackles, he stands up and he says, I don't think we should leave the island of Crete. I think you guys are trying to sail in the winter. I think we should stay here. I just feel it in my, my spirit that we shouldn't leave this island. And so they don't listen to him at all. And so they try to sail from the island of Crete and they get caught in a storm, of course, and the ship gets starts to get torn apart and everybody's nervous on edge and the storm lasts for days and days and days and people aren't eating and they're not sleeping and it's this this crazy situation Paul is in and so Paul stands up I love this verse he stands up in the middle of the ship and the first thing he says he says men of this ship and watch this in Acts chapter 27 Paul stands up in the middle and he says I told you so like the gales of wind are bursting around. The ship is being torn apart on the high seas. And Paul's like, I told you so. You should have listened to me. Man, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. How many love a pastor like that? He's like, I told you. I told you that guy was no good for you. I told you your marriage would. I told you your kids would. Paul just stands up. He's like, I told you so. You should have listened to me not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you. So you didn't listen to me then, but listen to me now to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. <clears throat> Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong. So not you bunch of losers. I belong to him and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Paul is saying the God I serve told me I'm going to stand before Caesar. So the ship is getting torn apart. We're about to go to the bottom of the ocean, but listen to me. God said, I would happen. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen. I have faith in God. It will happen just as he told me. He says, don't be afraid. I have confidence in life that God will speak to me. God has told me and it will happen as he said. Listen to me. God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. 
God will give you a dream in your life. God will give you a purpose in your life. God will speak through his word to you every day that you read it. God has made some promises to us as followers of Jesus. And I promise you, if we, if we, as much as we keep preaching, as much as we keep fighting, we have to keep trusting that it will happen just as he has said. We have to keep trusting that God is God on his throne. We keep trusting as believers. You want to keep joy in the midst of storms of his life. Not that storms don't come, but that they won't rock you because you've seen the faithfulness of God. You trusted in him. You've seen him walk through these things in life. And Paul said, I know I'm in prison, but it's not facing me because I've seen the things that God has done. Even on my way here to this prison, I saw God was faithful and he was. They lost everything they had, but not a life was lost. It says they swam ashore and Paul ends up just as God said in Rome, just as he promised him. Paul said, I've seen those things. He said, I've gone through those storms, even coming to prison. I've seen it all, but it's not going to faze me. It's not going to rock me because I have seen how faithful my God is. That's good preaching. Thank you very much. That's just, I'm just telling you, God's hand is on your life. No, you're too late now. You don't just, I'm going to make it. Paul said, talking about keeping our joy, he said, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep trusting. No matter what the circumstances say. And then it gives us the fourth one as we close in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So he's walked us through now. How do you keep your joy? He said, I keep preaching. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's to the guard or to the prisoners or to the people in Rome. I keep preaching. He says, I keep fighting, but I fight the right battles. I don't care that they're out there trying to mess up my life. People aren't my problem. He said, I keep trusting because I know I've seen God's hand faithful. I know I've seen God walk me through these things. But then he... He's ending out the chapter now and he says, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I actually don't know. Like he goes on to say, I'm actually torn between the two. Like if I stay here, it's good for all of you, he says. It's good that I can be fruitful. It's good that it would be a benefit to you. But if I die, if I depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. So Paul is talking about this. He's got two choices. I either remain in the body or if I die, it's actually better than this life by far. It's a perspective we have to have. Number four, if you're going to maintain your joy, you have to keep anticipating. If you're going to follow what Paul did in his life, it's great that we keep preaching. It's great that we keep fighting. We keep trusting. But then Paul says at this, he says, for me to live is, is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, you have to keep anticipating what's to come. If you're going to keep joy in the storms of life, you have to keep anticipating. And if you haven't learned this, you need to learn the art of anticipation in your life. Because hope is the gift that God gives us to weather the storms of life. Hope is the gift that God gives us to walk through the circumstances, the happenings, and the things that have happened to me. That we have hope in Christ. That's why the devil is working overtime to steal your hope. Because he knows if he can steal your hope of today, he can get you to quit. If he can steal your hope of tomorrow, he can get you to quit today. If, if the devil is working to try to get you to give up. In fact, Jesus even embraced this principle in his life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the pain of the cross. That he saw the end from the beginning and that for the joy set on the other side of it, he was able to endure the cross. We have to get this principle of anticipation in our lives. And honestly, you see this. A lot of us, we don't see it in our spiritual life. We'll only get it into our non-spiritual life. For the joy set before us. Those of you, when you're working out and you're thinking, like, once this is done, once I run my three miles and it's only, you know, I'm only eight steps in and I'm already winded. But once I run these three miles, I can eat every Twinkie in existence because, praise God, I'm burning calories. I just, for the joy set before me, I can endure. Praise the Lord. 
Some of you, we have, we have traditions in our family, but at the end of summer, we've got a few traditions that we do. But some of you, I don't know if you know, summer around here where it's like a thousand degrees before 8 a.m. in the morning. Like it's just, I begin to think about Christmas. I don't know about you, but that's just what comes into my mind. I start to think about what's to come. I start to think about what we're doing this for. And we have a tradition as our family. We haven't been able to do it for a couple of years now. Um, but we have a tradition. We'll go down to like Gulfport or Gulf Shores uh, right after kind of school settles down. Everything starts in September. Forget the mouse, everybody. He's too expensive. Hey, get your Gulfport and your Gulf Shores on. Come on. Gulfport Airbnb. You heard it here first. I can share. I can, I can save you some money, everybody. I think you can swim in the water now. They got rid of that flesh-eating bacteria uh, down there along the coast. And so just read the signs when you get down there. Don't take my word for it. And we go down that little strip where it's our spot there at the Gulfport, down to the not quite white sandy beaches. And we walk down past that Waffle House on the corner of where we love to stay. Come on, everybody. For the joy of the Gulfport Waffle House set before us, we endure the humidity. We come through this thing. And too many times we see this in our non-spiritual life, but we don't get it in our spiritual. You have something set before you. For the eternity set before us, we endure. For the joy set in front of us, we got to keep anticipating. And too many times we get our eyes off of that. We look at whatever today holds and we never look at what God has promised us in eternity. And Paul is saying to live is Christ, but to die is actually gain. Paul said, I'm not trying to work it all out in this life. And he says, it will work out. He said, I'm not killing myself trying to work it all out because I know it will. One day pain will cease. One day tears will be wiped away. One day all your problems will be banished. One day it will happen. But I want you to know that it may not happen while you're here on this earth because earth is not the goal. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, maybe our culture more than most, but we somehow build up our kingdoms and think earth is the goal. Listen to me, everybody. Earth is not the promise. Earth is not the promise. So Paul said, I'm learning this art of anticipation. Second Corinthians chapter four. This was actually in our reading this week. If you read along with us in the one year Bible in the app or the reading plan that we have as a church, this was the chapter this week. Second Corinthians chapter four. He says it this way. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. That's outwardly you are losing your hair. Outwardly you are joints don't bend like they used to. Outwardly your body is aging and getting older. Outwardly it hurts to bend down to tie your shoes. Outwardly these say we are wasting away. But Paul said that's not what matters. Too many times it is to us though. Too many times we think, too many times outwardly is what matters more to us than anything else. But Paul said there's something deeper at play. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Inwardly being renewed day by day. Watch this. For our, but for our light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary. This is not the vocabulary I would have used to describe Paul's troubles. Because they were heavy and they lasted his whole life. And yet Paul says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. His perspective, it's not really that big a deal what has happened to me. His perspective is not really that big a deal for our light and momentary troubles. They're not that big a deal. They outweigh them all because we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Not on the things that we think are so important. We fix our eyes, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. This body, these things we walk through, what has happened to me, these other th- all of that is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen to me, everybody, as we close, don't focus on what you're going through. Focus where you're going to. Don't think about the temporary and waste your life trying to accumulate the temporary. Think about what has been promised that God is faithful to complete, that we are living for eternity. Earth is not the goal. Earth is not our home. 
For we are citizens of heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Paul's writing, Philippians, you want to keep your joy. You want to not be rocked by the storms of life. You want to be like those Christians you see who things cannot face them. Storms cannot rock them. Nothing can, can shake them. Nothing. You want to be like that? Paul's saying, we keep preaching. We're going to keep fighting, but we're going to fight the right battles. We're going to keep our, we're going to keep our eyes up off of people. We're going to fight actual battles in the spiritual. Paul's saying, we're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep trusting that God has called us and that he is faithful. And we're going to keep anticipating Anticipating that we know where our Savior is returning from. We know the eternity He has promised us. We know that what is unseen is eternal. That we are awaiting the return of our Savior. And that life, Paul says, is better by far. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. I just want to pray that God would help us to recover and maintain our joy. That God would help us to have a joy in Him that lasts through storms. That God would help us, honestly, for those of us that have set our eyes off of eternity and onto people or onto the temporary. That He would help us to fight the right battles. That we would keep trusting and anticipating. Before we pray for that, though, I want to talk to some of you. You're either in the room or maybe you're watching online and you're listening to all of this and you're saying, well, that's great. I would love to have a promise of eternity. I would love to have this idea that I could trust God, but I feel so far away from Him. A lot of different reasons you may find yourself there. There's a lot of ways that people run from God. There's a lot of ways that they feel separated and you feel like He's a million miles away. But listen to me. Listen to me in this moment. I don't care what anybody else has ever told you. I don't care what anybody else has ever tried to hurt you with. I don't care what anybody else has ever tried to tear you down or do. I want you to know this right now. God wants you. He wants you. And more than that, God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think your life represents. I don't care what any of that that you've done. I want you to know this, that he still loves you and he still wants you. And so this morning you have an opportunity You have an opportunity to give your life to him. It'd be my honor to pray that prayer with you. And we as a church, we have have dedicated ourselves to pray that with anybody who wants to pray. But listen, we can pray it with you. We can give you the words to say. We can encourage you, but it's you who makes the decision. And I can promise you in this life, you probably noticed this. If you put your faith in earth... You put your faith in the things of this life, it will fail you every single time. There may be moments of happiness, but they're just based on the circumstances. They're they're as fleeting as the season that they're in. You want true joy, it's only found in Jesus. You say, well, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible says that while we were sinners, not while we were perfect, not while we had it all together, the Bible says while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. That the Father sent His Son to die in our place that anyone could call on His name. The Bible says Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. Not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him could be saved. This is your chance. You say, I want to have eternity with Him. I want to follow God. I want to surrender my life. This is your moment. I'm going to give you the words to pray. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not trying to take you to a separate room after service. That's not my heart right now. I just want to give you an opportunity to meet Jesus. To surrender your life. So that's you today watching online or you're in the room. If you want to pray that prayer, 
Every head's bowed. All our eyes are closed, but we're going to pray it with you. So come on, church. Nobody prays alone. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for our entire church today. God, no matter what the circumstances are that we're facing, no matter what the fights are, God, that we think are so important, Lord, let us set our eyes on eternity. Help us to keep preaching the gospel. Help us to keep trusting you in every circumstance. Help us, Lord, to know that this earth is not our home. And Lord, when we feel like we are weak in our faith, thank you, you are the author and the perfecter of it. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us what we cannot be for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Lord, we know that you work in our lives to spread the gospel and to preach. And so we thank you. We thank you for every opportunity that you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray this week as we go. God, I pray you would give us opportunities to spread the gospel. God, I pray you would give us our eyes to look at the harvest. And I pray you would give us a perspective that always knows eternity is the goal. We praise you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. We'll give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we give God praise for what was done today?